0: As Isaiah said in the prayer, truly, Jesus will be the ultimate fulfillment of that, this, these passages in Numbers 28 and 29. And we can be thinking about that as we're looking through this passage. Now, Numbers 28 and 29 will list the religious calendar of Israel. This is done in a couple of places. Um, It is done most thoroughly here in Numbers 28 and 29. Uh, A close second is in Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 also lists uh, the religious calendar. There is a difference in emphasis in uh, Leviticus and Numbers. In Leviticus 23, there is just uh, statements. I would say that the average layman, how he would approach these days is, is more central. And in Numbers 28 and 29, all the sacrifices that were offered, that would have been a concern of the priest more than anyone, and so you might say this emphasizes the role of the priest more, or what they did more, but it does, this focuses on the sacrifices that were offered on this various day. But put it all together, and it helps us understand The nation of Israel. If we want to understand a people, we want to under—we're going to have to understand their rituals. We're going to have to understand what days are important to them. You know, it tells us something about who people are, doesn't it? The days they view as significant, the days they view as important, and what this will do. Numbers 28 will deal with the daily sacrifices. It will go from the daily in 28, 1 through 8. It will go from the weekly in 28 verses 9 and 10. The monthly sacrifices at new moon in 28 verses 11 through 15. And then the yearly sacrifices starting with the first month and going to the end of these feasts in the seventh month. So it's a very logical arrangement here. And um, in all, each year, Israel offered these amounts. Just in these things that are given. Not even in the free will offerings and things which are summed up in, um, in verses 39 and 40 of chapter 23. But each year, Israel offered 113 bulls, 32 rams, and 1,086 lambs. Now, just that... That's every one. Every year, every, thing. every year. Now, just that tells you what. <clears throat> Lamb is the most common sacrificial animal. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John one twenty nine. So that should be kind of a hint. Now, Vanessa. that was like the people as a whole, or that one person. This is the people. This is done for all the nation. For all the nation. This is what was done on behalf of the nation. And, and like I stated, I, we cut this off at twenty nine thirty eight. Twenty nine thirty nine and forty show that there were individual sacrifices beyond this. There were individual sacrifices beyond this. So this was what was done for all of the nation. What also would you say about that number of sacrifices? Beside the fact, the obvious fact, that the lamb is the most common sacrificial animal, what does that indicate? John? They were pastoral people. They would have to have herds large enough to sustain these huge numbers. Lambs especially, because they're the young ones. Okay, you know... And, and, and Sarah, do you... Basically the same, that they had to have some level of prosperity or blessing yes. in order to to get to that. I was hoping you would, you would say that. So you, you're adding to Josh's... Josh's comment is that had to have many of them and it's a is signal of the prosperity... And now I want you to ask you to think back. So between between the old you filled out everything I was I was asking there, but remember in Numbers thirteen and fourteen, right after God told Israel you're not going to enter the land because of your sin, right after he said that, in Numbers fifteen, then we are told when you enter the land, you're to offer these offerings. That was a statement that God's promise was still alive, God's promise still applied, and that they were going to go into a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land of prosperity in order to be able to sacrifice that much. And what Josh said, they are a pastoral people. And as Sarah said, this shows their prosperity. This is an indication that the Lord has abundantly blessed them to offer a thousand lambs every year just for all the people. takes an incredible amount of prosperity. So again, in spite of all the sins that we've read Israel commit throughout this book, still we see God's mercy, God's compassion, God's grace with the people. And God is going to bless them in spite of themselves, in spite of their failures, in spite of their sins. Okay. Tommy. Yes. Were there like national flocks that this came from? Because you had the individual offerings Okay. Or were these flocks, or do we know? Or? That I do not know, and I don't know if it is because um, there's information there I've missed, but I do not remember it that I do not remember that there, there was kind of a collective. I remember in number seven you had each tribe contributing an equal amount in various other things. It does not mention the animals, it, it does not mention these animals then but but maybe that is taken into play maybe was that part of what they the warning was of if you want a king he's going to take your sons and daughters and animals and food. certainly that that does have first first Samuel 8. he's going to take these things and he's going to take them for himself so so yes that would be a a burden and not a cause a blessing for the people so yes it's a, it's a good comment okay now here in, num- in, in Numbers 28, hard to know how to cover all of this. But let's at least read through the first part because a lot of phrases are going to be reappearing here that are mentioned. First in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be careful to present my offering. My food for my offering by fire of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed times. You shall say to them, this is the offering by fire which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, one year old without defect as a continual burnt offering. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And a tenth of the, an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma, as an offering by fire to the Lord. Then the drink offering with which... Um, the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb in the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink the other lamb you shall offer at twilight as the uh, grain offering as the grain offering of the morning and as the drink offering you shall offer it an offering by fire a soothing aroma to the Lord now some key phrases in this particular chapter. You notice the phrase soothing aroma. Soothing aroma. I counted this. I counted this phrase eleven times in Numbers twenty-eight and twenty-nine. A soothing aroma. Uh, the phrase without defect. The soothing aroma first appears in 28 verse 2, but in this section it appears three times. It appears in verse 6 and it appears in verse 8 as well. Verse 6 and verse 8. The phrase without blemish used for the first time in verse 3 is used 15 times here in this particular text without blemish. Then the burnt offering which is used in 28 verse 3 the burnt offering that phrase used 30 times in, this cha- in this, these two chapters. This is 28 and 29. So these are phrases you're going to encounter over and over and over again in this section. Uh, there is the grain offering mentioned. <coughs> there is the drink offering um, mentioned. But of the animal sacrifice is only called two that were mentioned throughout this section. One is obviously the burn offering. What is the other? What is the other type of animal sacrifice that is mentioned here? this, what? The Sabbath? Oh, the Sabbath? Okay, we're not talking about a when here, I'm talking about a type of animal, but I'm talking about sin. We have a male goat for a sin. So the burnt offering and a sin offering are the ones that are, are mentioned. Now, there are a lot of details given, and also prominent in this are the grain offering, which is mentioned first in twenty-eight five. The grain offering, the grain offering. I had down that it's mentioned twenty-seven times in this section. <laughs> And then, in 28, verse 7, it uses the phrase, drink offering, and that is used 15 times. Now, no better way... um, Excuse me, I just had 12 references here. I had 12 references. But it's mentioned several times that that word is not used. Now, nothing better... To start off a class on numbers and statistics, the numbers, and so we got a lot of numbers there. But what I'm wanting you to see is this is just a recurring thing throughout this chapter. We'll, we'll see, these chapters we'll see them over and over. It mentions the burnt offering that was offered each morning and the burnt offering that was offered each evening, and with it was the appropriate grain offering. Do you remember back in Numbers 15? We saw that there was a different grain offering for the bull and for the ram and for the lamb. For the bull, three-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour. For the ram, two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour. For the lamb, one-tenth of an ephah, of fine flour. For the drink offering, with the bull, a half "...of a hen of oil, with a ram a third of a hen of an oil, with a lamb a fourth of a hen of oil, with the value of the animal sacrifice as it increased, the value and the amount of the grain and the drink offering also increased." And this is said to be a soothing aroma. It hit me this week, and I guess I've thought about this before, but but helped formulate it this past week. I think because of some of the condemnations that are given by the prophets, that we might tend to think these people were just going to demotions. These people weren't sincere. And obviously, some of them weren't. And that's why you have prophets like Isaiah. Rebuke them in Isaiah 1. In Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 7. and, And on and on the list goes. But don't let us default to automatically say all these people were insincere. Could you prove some of us, I'm not necessarily saying some in this room, Or some in this congregation. But can you prove some that worship like we do today are insincere? I have no doubts that that's the case. But we don't want to be written off as saying we're all insincere. That it doesn't mean anything to any of us. This, I think, for many of these people, was a deeply moving experience. Now it was... A bloody and gory experience from our perspective. But at the same time, God was using that to teach them something. Maybe about the seriousness of sin and how ugly and hideous sin was. But... That is the daily burnt offering. One was killed. One was killed in the morning. The other was killed at twilight. Verse 4. That phrase, at twilight, uh, is literally between the evenings. And it was used for the time the Passover lamb was killed. And uh, not only in Exodus 12.6, but also three times in Numbers 9 that is mentioned. Now, that is our daily sacrifice. Every day, and, and, and if, it, it, even if that day fell on a Sabbath, one phrase you'll read often in these sections, in addition to the daily offering, these, these sacrifices don't diminish that daily offering, they are added to that daily offering. And weekly, on the Sabbath, weekly on the Sabbath there was in verses 9 and 10 two male lambs, one year old, without defect they were offered with the appropriate grain offering in verse 9 and the appropriate drink offering and again as verse 10 says in addition to every, this is in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. Now the Sabbath is a subject that comes up quite frequently. So we're going to talk about it as much right now. Where have we seen the Sabbath in the book of Numbers? And maybe more than one, but I'm thinking specifically of a case, Sarah. The guy picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Okay. Well, shouldn't have been. The guy picking up sticks on the Sabbath and it resulted in his execution. In Numbers 15, verses 32 through 36. But there was a weekly sacrifice of uh, on the Sabbath. And then the new moon sacrifice in verses 11 through 15. Now, one of the reasons I said the description in Numbers is fuller than the description in Leviticus, there is no description of the new moon in Leviticus 23. The new moon was at the first of each month and in this, and this will become a pattern for several of these types of sacrifice. In verse 11, they offered two bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs. And then verses 12 and 13 state the grain offering which was offered with each of these. And verse 15, the drink offerings that were offered. In addition to this, and this is the first time we've encountered it, in verse 15 on the uh, new moon, one male goat for a sin offering was also offered. One male goat for a sin offering. Now, can you tell me a few times that the new moon is mentioned in the Old Testament? It is not frequent. But there are a couple... And usually it is not a focus. It is a passing illusion. Can you think of it? When David was coming to Saul. Okay, good. Um, In 1 Samuel 20... Remember, with Jonathan and Saul, or Jonathan and David, are concocting that plan on how to find out Saul's intentions to David. Uh, they say tomorrow is a new moon, and you'll be expected to eat with the king. Apparently, the king ate uh, with his commanders or something on the new moon. Um, it, that's not something required in the law, but that is something that is mentioned. There, that's that's good. That's one of the references. Can you think of others? Do you remember when the woman who had asked for a son in Second Kings four, when the son passed away, uh, she didn't even tell her husband, but she asked that she may ride to see Elisha, and he said, "Why would you go to him?" And one of the things it's not—I think he said Sabbath. If you can look at this, but Second Kings four twenty-three. It's not a new moon. He also mentions that as a special time of religious observance. It is the people are said in Isaiah one verse thirteen to 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 gone through this ritual in a empty way, and it didn't affect their life. Uh, but at the end of the book in sixty six twenty three, it prophesies of a day that God would be honored from Sabbath to Sabbath, from new moon to new moon, and the other Amos eight. And verse 5, in Amos 8, 5, some people could not wait for the new moon to be over where they could get back to the important work of cheating their neighbor. And uh, obviously, these people were not sincere in Isaiah 1 and in Amos 8. Uh, But um, that was the new moon. Any questions about that? Any questions about the new moon? Now, Yes, Sarah. I have kind of a Sabbath y question. Okay. So so the Sabbath was the seventh, but the word Sabbath was also used to indicate a special day? Okay, Sabbath technically means rest. Okay. It's it's the idea of the, as far as the definition. Now, yes, it was the seventh day. Was the seventh day? Is is that what you're asking? Yeah, well, and aren't there places where it talks about. This shall be a Sabbath day for you? Yes, but it means rest. Because one of the phrases you will see first uh, in verse 18, it says, On the first day, this is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, shall be a holy convocation, and you shall do no laborious work. The book of Leviticus, Leviticus 23, will often invoke the term Sabbath here, because it is a day of rest. So yes, um, now, again, not we're not stopping at every point to say this, but Colossians 2 verse 16 mentions the Sabbath and the new moon as things which are a shadow of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ. So again, that doesn 't get into all the specifics, but that tells us even this religious calendar of Israel, even these days are a foreshadowing of Jesus and his role now the uh, the yearly feast yearly feast of the Jews, the religious calendar and uh, I was, you know, I had, uh, I tried to have my students remember this for the test because uh, I thought this was pretty significant. You know, if you're going to remember that, and um, Claire, you avoided that class. Didn't you? I, I you, okay, yes, uh, but but, uh, but I had them remember the religious religious calendar. What we're going to do is we're going to start with the first month. And the feasts are from the first month to the seventh month, outside the daily, weekly, and yearly sacrifices. Now, I want you to also notice something here. I think that will be very apparent when we write them on the board. But the first day, first month, excuse me, first month, ilm will be month. First month, 14th day is what? Passover. Passover. And we read of the origins and the significance of that day in Exodus twelve, verses one through fourteen, among other places, in verses twenty-one through twenty-eight. So that was the Passover, and that is mentioned here in twenty-eight, in verse sixteen. Twenty-eight, verse sixteen. Now in twenty-eight. Verses 17 through 25. The first month and the 15th through the 21st day was unleavened bread. And they went throughout their house. And they removed all leaven from their house. Now that's interesting. You read that. In Exodus 12 and verse 15 through 20. And if you had any leaven in your house, you were cut off from among the people. Paul uses that illustration in 1 Corinthians 5 verses 6 through 8. We need to be as diligent in removing sin from our lives and from us collectively as they were in removing leaven from their homes. That's the point that Paul makes of it in 1 Corinthians 5. What I'm trying to tell you is don't think that this is irrelevant and has no application or significance to us. There is significance all through this. Now, At the time of Passover, there is no special sacrifice that is mentioned on Passover itself. But on the 15th to the 21st, the Passover lamb, of course, was sacrificed. We know that. But on the 15th through the 25th of the month, each of these days you offer two bulls one ram, and seven male lambs. And you read that in verse 19. You offer this for these seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Two bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, just like we saw in verse 11 about the new moon. Then in verse 22, you offered a male goat for a sin offering. But something else that's mentioned here, you know, Sarah was talking about the term Sabbath applying to other things besides the weekly Sabbath. I would also say one thing that we uh, can see here is this phrase, Holy Convocation. It is used for the first time in this section in 28.18 and then twenty-five, but it is going to be a common expression throughout this section. The phrase "holy convocation." Uh, I have down that this phrase. Um, this phrase is, by the way, only used in Leviticus twenty-three and Numbers twenty-eight and twenty-nine. It's the only places it's used in the Old Testament. I have down that it's six times. In Numbers 28 and 29. A holy convocation. A holy assembly. Well you don't read. Some may say. Of people going to church in the Old Testament. Well. You do too. You do too. And they get special assemblies. On special days. Where they came. And they worshipped the Lord. Now. Also notice that phrase, no laborious work, in both 18 and 25. And I want you to notice there's going to be an alteration in that a little bit later. Okay, so we've had these feasts in the first month. If I'm a little vague with this next feast, the Bible's a little vague as far as time frame. It would have fallen in a third month, but from the 28th, 20, chapter 28, verses 26 through 31 is the day of first fruits. Now, even within this context, it is also called weeks. It is called weeks. Uh The New American Standard has Feast of Weeks in verse 26. Feast of Weeks. They have a holy convocation this day. On this day they offer two bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs. This is the feast. This day of first fruits. This Feast of Weeks. It was about 50 days after Passover. So again, that puts us in the third month. You may remember it was the third month when God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. And some have tied it to that series of events. This is the feast in the New Testament that is called Pentecost. And Jews from all over the world have come to Jerusalem to worship God on that day. Christ was crucified during the events of Passover and Unleavened Bread. His resurrection is openly preached on the Feast of Weeks, on the Day of first fruits. Again, all of this religious calendar of the Jews is important for the birth of Christianity because uh, it is seen in that particular context. Now... Any questions right there? Just feel free to shout them out if you have them. Is it possible that the date of the first fruits is not given because when the first fruits come in is somewhat dependent upon the weather? Well, (laughs) um, the... I would say, David, it's given in Leviticus, but it's hard for us to determine what it means. Because it says, like, you count the day after the Sabbath for seven weeks. Now, is that Sabbath in the context of Leviticus 23, is it a weekly Sabbath, or is it one of those Sabbaths where they simply avoided work? There has been, there was debate among that. Have you ever heard this statement? Pentecost was always on Sunday. Okay, some of you haven't. Some of you have. Pentecost always was on Sunday. It may have been. I'm not saying we know that's wrong. But there's some question about it. But they would be interpreting that Sabbath mentioned in Leviticus. They would be interpreting that as the weekly Sabbath, and and so I, I would say it's more revealed than I understand, David. So, but 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 what you're saying um, always this shows. God had to provide this harvest for there to be this celebration. And so all of these things were reminders of God's gracious blessings. All of these feasts should have been a reminder of how they owed everything to God. Okay, now, to chapter 29, verses 1 through 6. The Feast of Trumpets... Not one that we more most readily remember because it was not one of the three at which all appeared before the Lord. But it was the seventh month and the first day. And they offered on this feast one bull, one ram, and seven male lambs Instead of two bulls, two rams. And seven male lambs, one bull, one ram, seven male lambs. The only event in the Old Testament where you see really transpiring on this day is in Nehemiah eight, verse one. The people gathered at the Water Gate for Nehemiah or for Ezra to read from them the word of the law in in chapter twenty nine, verses seven through ten you have the day of atonement the day of atonement in the seventh month the tenth day the tenth day The Day of Atonement, this is described in great detail in Leviticus 16. This is where you have the scapegoat. And they lay their hands, the high priest lays his hands on the head of the goat and confesses all of their sins. I want you to look at verse 7. Verse 7, that on the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall humble yourselves. That is also taken, stated in Leviticus 16, was in Leviticus 23, and was stated as, generally believed to be uh, fasting, among other things. You shall humble yourselves, you shall not do any work. Now did you catch that distinction? Other times it is said you shall do no laborious work. On the day of atonement, you shall not do any work. In a certain sense, the Day of Atonement was the most holy day of the year. It was the most holy day of the year. And so, you read of it, actually it's through verse 11. Then, verses 12-38 is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. It started the seventh month and lasted from the 15th to the 21st or 22nd day of the month. Text mentions eight days of the feast. Now, what do you notice right there on the book? And this was just so carefully constructed. I mean, you may think this board is just chaos and confusion. But you notice that there's a division between 28 and 29. What do you see when you get to 29? Seventh month, seventh month, seventh month. Okay. Not only was the seventh day particularly important, but the seventh month. Seventh month. And also what happened every seventh year. They rest. Number seven. Really key in all of these descriptions. It's got to be telling us something. But the seventh month... When we talked about the harvest here, um, as David asked about, what harvest would particularly be during that time, wheat. I think it's barley. I think it's barley, but it was a good you know, gas. <laughs> you know, but it was. Um, but this would have been kind of at the end of their agricultural season. This would have been close to their October and November. And as they are reflecting on the year that God has abundantly provided for them, they probably had more time to set aside for these feasts and also to pray for God's guidance in the new year. Did you notice anything as you read Numbers 29 about the sacrifices that were offered during the feasts A tabernacle. There's more. There's more. They offered more bulls and more rams in this feast than they did in all of these feasts. What happens is they start on the first day of the feast and they offer 13 bulls Two rams and 14 male lambs. The number of rams and the number of lambs will be consistent for each of the first seven days of the feast. They will be consistent. The number of bulls will decrease one with each succeeding day until finally on the seventh day they offer seven bulls, two rams, and one lamb. Then, on the last day of the feast, interestingly, they offer one bull, one ram, and seven lambs in verses 35 and 36. So they don't offer as much there. But they offered more bulls and more rams than at any other time of the year. Now, how did the people observe the Feast of Tabernacles? It is also called by what name? Feast of Booze. Feast of booze. And the people lived in. Fill in the blank. The people lived in booze. booze or tabernacles, you could say. And you read about that in Leviticus 23 verses 39 through 43. What was the point of this thing? One of the things I think, as they went back in time to living in tents like they did in the wilderness, they remember how blessed they are. They have houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. You know, I... You see these old shows like the little house in the prairie, and I know, I would have been a great Christian in the 1870s, and I would have done well. Um, I would have starved to death. <laughs> but, but, but you know, you think, but but to to look back at those, there is a beauty in the simplicity of life. But there is a difficulty of life that we forget. And an abundance that we have. I can remember first hearing about a microwave. And now it is a given in people's houses. We have so much to be thankful for. And part of this feast was to remind them of that. And they offer more bulls and more rams, the most expensive sacrificial animals, at any time of the year as a consciousness that everything is from God. Everything is from God. And we owe all we have and all we are to Him. Now, in addition to that, They did offer, and I don't want to leave this out, they offered one, each day, they offered one male goat for a sin offering. And that is stated at the end of those sacrifices. I did not want to leave that out. Now, where do you find the Passover and the Day of Unleavened Bread is mentioned in connection with the Gospel of John, in particular, particularly the crucifixion. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? It said in John nineteen thirty six, "If I feel what was written, that not a bone of his shall be broken." Now that is a that's a reference to Exodus twelve forty six and Numbers nine and verse twelve. Not a bone of his. Shall be broken. Jesus is the ultimate Passover Lamb. First Corinthians five seven. He is our Passover, which is sacrificed for us. He died as the Passover Lamb at the time of Passover. And by the way, Luke twenty two verse one combines. It said the feast of unleavened bread, which is the Passover in the. In Popular mind, they become became so closely associated as to be inseparable. We talked about the day of first fruits in connection with Acts two. Where do you find the tabernacle and the feast of tabernacles in the New Testament? Okay, look at John seven. John seven. John 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, and He was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill Him. Now, the feast of the Jews, the feast of Booths, was near. His brothers are telling Him, basically, in verses 3-5, through to go up. No one wants to be known publicly, but keeps all his works in secret. And uh, Jesus gets into an argument with his brothers. uh, But notice it's the Feast of Booze, verse 2. Look at verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in the As the Scripture said, from His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, look at those verses again, and let me tell you something. We do not know when this originated, but it was at least a couple of centuries before Jesus' time. That there was a water-drawing ritual associated with the day of the feast. That they, they took water from the pool of Siloam, the priest poured it out, and, and praised God who had given them the wells to drink from the wells of salvation. They did this for seven days in the Feast of Tabernacles. But on the last day, that water drawing ritual was not practiced. Because they were showing that full salvation had not yet come with the Messiah. Did you notice what day of the feast it was? It was the last day when they did not perform this water drawing ritual. And Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in him, as Scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Also, there were candles that were lit and they would be lit a candelabra for seven days. But on the eighth day of the feast, they were not lit to indicate that full salvation had not yet come. John 8, verse 12, if you leave out verses 53 through eight eleven, may indeed be at this same feast. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. But will have the light of life. Jesus fulfills the feast of tabernacles as well. Any list of prophecies fulfilled in Jesus is too short if it doesn't include the whole Old Testament. All of these events were working were a prophecy of the coming. Of Christ. Now, I will say this. You could have been very sincere and worshiped properly and not understood the implications of it. I imagine most of them didn't. But Jesus has made it clear to us. And so I would say instead of being afraid of the Old Testament, we are the people who can have the greatest understanding of it. There's a set of commentaries I have that are about $60 a month. And last I was probably, I haven't checked since the last couple of months. It's probably gone up. All Jewish writers, tremendously insightful. But there's something that you and I understand so much better. Because they cut off at the end of the Old Testament and do not see the fulfillment of these things in Christ. If anyone can understand the Old Testament and its purpose, it is us. Thanks, Lord willing. Um, Numbers 30 on um, at least on Wednesday night.